everybody welcome to another episode of the happy cast i am one of your co-hosts andrew and i'm joined by dylan roof um he has some epic things coming up that i'm sure we'll talk about later on and not joining us today um she's dnfing this episode because (laughs) you know uh, after last week her disdain for 200 milers was you know heard loud and clear so i guess she didn't want to touch this episode stephanie is not here with us and i can't tell you last time that's happened but with us we have recent moab 240 finisher um local texan from midland uh abraham bayhill not bajil not bajil bayhill right am i saying this right yep that'll work right. b hill Hill. Hill, there you go. Oh yeah. my God. Either way. I, I get oh it. I, I messed it up. You told me right before I asked you, I looked you right in the face. How to pronounce your name and B Hill. Okay. So yeah, B Hill, the J is an H. Um, and honestly, I think that's how it should be in the English language. All the J's should just be, we should just get rid of the J. Dylan, do you think we should just get rid of the J? Every J should just be I think be it would H. confuse a lot of people. We're already confused. Since- We're Americans. Yeah, I mean, we all we have letters that have um, two different emphasis, so I'm sure it would be par for the course. It's the Havelina 100, right? Oh, there you go. (laughs) The H and the uh, HH 100, as they like to call it. I'm just throwing Dylan some softball since you know I feel like he hasn't been on in a while. So, uh, (laughs) including you here immediately. But anyways, so yes, we have Abraham. Do you go by Abe? Mostly Abe, yeah. Abe, yeah. I'll just call you Abe then, if you don't mind. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, recently you just finished uh, the Moab 240. Um, this is the final race of the Destination Trails Triple Crown, uh, the big three 200 milers in the country, uh, which uh, start with Tahoe, uh, then Bigfoot, and then ends with the Moab 240. This is their longest one for the time being. Um, and also, um, you know, the probably from what I've heard, just the most unique of the other ones, because you're running in a desert that becomes mountains that becomes it's hot and it's cold as hell. Uh, this is a race that I did last year is my first 200 miler and Abe, um, we don't have too much uh, history with each other. Um, I think we've known of each other for a while, but we did talk some before this uh, race just for a little bit. Um, so I, at that moment I was like, you know, we gotta, you know, we gotta have you on, but we're going to wait to see how the race goes and whatnot. You know, we, we made, we, we've asked people before a race back in our, uh, origins are back, you know, when he was first started and, um, then things don't go well. It's like, I don't think they want to be on anymore. So we, we know Try not better. to add any, add any additional pressure. Yeah. No it. pressure. <laughs> Although I like the idea of someone in the middle of a race when they're about to just, you know, break down and lose all control and just like, just think about us. They're like, I'm supposed to do this podcast. And they start crying because of the pressure. It's like, I can't fail them. I can't fail this podcast. (laughs) 
I don't even know who they are. Do they even know what a happy ending is? Do they know how disgusting their name is? Like, do they know? It's like, <laughs> like who are these people? Um, but yes, anyways, Abe, you, this was your first 200 miler. You yep. have ran quite a few, uh, prestigious races and some very difficult races in the past. Um, just, we're going to start with a brief background, if you don't mind. When did you start, um, running in general? Uh, in general, I started running in the end of, uh, 2018. So, um, I want to say my, I first started running like one mile, two miles at a time, like in October, maybe, maybe September of 2018. And, uh, that actually kind of stemmed from, um, me kind of hitting rock bottom with uh, an alcohol problem. And uh, once I kind of hit rock bottom with that, I, I needed to do something else to kind of uh, figure out how to cope rather than using uh, alcohol for coping. And so I got into running. And uh, a buddy of mine, um, Robert Gomez, who's the, he kind of does the MRC, Midland Run Crew stuff out here in Midland, Texas. And he had a little group of guys that he was running with and invited me to go run. And uh, I started just running one mile, two mile. And I remember them saying, we're going to do a 5K. And I absolutely could not even fathom doing a 5K at that time. And, and did my first 10K in uh, November of 2018. And immediately after that, I said, I want to do a 50K. In March of 2019, I did Crazy Desert 50K. And so that was the start of my ultra running. Um, now, passion. a lot of people, when they do finally hit their first ultra, uh, that's a stopgap for a lot of people at some point. They're just like, yeah, I did it. No more. I'm done. Right. Um, how, how did you feel uh, after doing your first ultra, because I can tell you when I finished my first ultra, um, I kind of wanted to just sit down and cry. And, um, like, I don't, you know, I mean, then a month later I tried to do a hundred miles, but like <laughs> at, at the immediate reaction was that was a nightmare. It was torture. You know, it wasn't terrible. I, I it was hard. It, it sucked at the, at the end, you know, feet hurt and blisters and, but I wanted to keep on going, uh, further. So uh, I didn't stop there and, uh, just kept on seeing what's next, what's next. So that was, uh, you know, the start of my ultra running hobby in 2019 of March. And I think I got into a couple of other races after that. Yeah, you did crazy desert and then, um, which, you know, as advertised, I haven't done it myself personally, heard many things about it, how great the community is over there and that your neck of the woods, that region in general. Yeah. But, um, you know, I've always heard it, it can get, you know, hot, but it's pretty fast. It's uh, fast for the, for the most part. Um, you had an impressive time Did that. And I guess according to ultra signup, since, you know, that is the Wikipedia of trail running five hours and 15 minutes. But I like how your next, at least according to this, uh, you know, 50K is the polar opposite and one that would give anyone fits if there's the first one is the Franklin Mountains 50K. Um, so your progression was, at least according to this, was you started with something that you probably heard a lot about. It was local to you or someone in the area. And then you're just, you know, you 
took a big step afterwards uh, with Franklin Mountains and to an extent, um, big you know, the fit, Big Bend Ultra 50 miler, which, you know, is, it has a lot of runnable in that. But that, again, that's just that's Big Bend. That's remote. That can be a scary place. I mean, right. so what made you seek out this progression? Um, you know, honestly, the, the Franklin Mountains race was just um, a buddy of mine here told me about it, said, uh, you know, it's got some crazy climbs and I had never done any true mountain running. So I thought it would be a good next uh, step to take. Um, still thought, OK, it's a 50K. I can do that. And uh, so that one, that one really made me kind of question whether or not I want to keep on running. Um, the climbing was, was absolutely brutal running on those rocks. Um, you know, the first, I don't remember, it was 15, 20 miles was just all rock. And then finally got into some, you know, buffed out trails that were nice. But then after that, yeah, the 50 mile at Big Ben, I thought would be the next step is to continue on the distance because I still wanted to continue on pushing myself. And, you know, one thing that most people know about me that, that, that know me personally is, I, I jump in all in hundred percent in anything that I do. And if it's a new thing, I've become obsessed with it. And that's what happened with ultra running. I just can't became obsessed with it. Now, you mean you did Bandera 100 K, which is kind of a, a good mixture of both runnable mm-hmm. can be challenging. Um, also kind of one of our premier trail races here uh, in Texas. But then, you know, from there, um, it wasn't too soon after that. In fact, it was, I guess, the same year um, in 2021 that uh, you did uh, Leadville, the, you know, you know, at the time, one of the most prestigious hundred mile races around um, an extremely difficult race. That's deceiving should be runnable, but you're at altitude and there's so many things that go on there. Um, Did you purposely seek out Leadville? Um, uh, You know, originally, or was that something that um, you heard about and was like, you know, I'll I'll throw my name in the lottery or try to get a token or something. Yeah, it was actually that I uh, had just heard about it, didn't really know much about it. And and they said, oh, that's a hard race. It's one of the hardest hundred milers out there and threw my name in the hat and thought it's a lottery. I'll probably never get picked the first time. People say it takes a couple of years. And lucky me, just like Moab, got picked in the lottery first time around. And uh, and and. I remember McKenzie and several other runners that were more knowledgeable in the ultra world than I was um, truly wondering and questioning, like, do you know what you just did? Do you know what you just signed up for? Um, Cause, and I, I, to me, I just thought it's, I heard it's a difficult race. I'll train. And, and, and uh, I just sort of self coached and self trained my throughout that with like a, you know, one online plan that I use at the time. And uh, it, it, it got me through. I wouldn't say it was the easiest race for sure. It was difficult. And I questioned my life's choices thereafter. Uh, even told myself at the end that I'll never do a hundred miler again. That's definitely how it goes. Um, speaking of a hundred milers, you did dinosaur, you know, fun fact, you did dinosaur 50 K the same time I did my first hundred miler there. So oh, did you? Okay. we may have ran into each other there, you know, somewhere. Um, at some point. So that's pretty cool. That was a hot one that year. Uh, 
Well, the thing is, uh, Abe, if I can call you Abe, yeah, um, yeah. it's just like, if you're slow like me, um, the heat doesn't bother you. So <laughs> just, just slow down, people. You don't want to go so fast. Um, well, I get so, it done over with. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Um, so at what, what point between when you first started this and doing Moab, were you, did you hear about 200 milers or just like what made you want to eventually do one? Um, it was, uh, I hadn't really heard of 200 milers just yet. So I did Leadville in 21 and, um, I did Leadville in 22. Um, and, and then after that, I, I had just heard about hard rock at that point. Um, and was wanting to train for, uh, for, um, cool Jill to get as a qualified race for hard rock. But I think it was earlier this year that I heard about 200 milers or, or even, even thought about doing a 200 miler. Um, or yeah, it was, I'm sorry. It was December of last year when I entered the lottery. So it was, it was just last year when I heard really about 200 milers. And, and, uh, I think I even saw your posts about 200 milers because you had gotten and did Moab last year. And, uh, so I, I hadn't really had, I honestly just didn't, didn't think it was feasible for me to even do a 200 miler, uh, when I heard about it. And, uh, I just thought, let me try. But I, I really didn't think I could keep going day after day, knowing how shot my legs were after a hundred miler. Cause my legs, I mean, I am down after a hundred mile. And I was surprised at how much I could keep going on a tune about day after day. I mean, it's true when you think about it, like when we do a hundred miler, um, we're completely trashed. Yeah. And like right when you finish, you can't, it's just funny, right? When you cross the finish line, like maybe a few minutes afterwards, you can no longer move mm -hmm. and you're like, there's no way I can do 200 miler, but it's completely different. I think there's a psychology behind that. Um, your body knows it's not done in a 200 miler and you're pacing yourself different. I think it is a kind of a psychological thing knowing like you can no longer trick your body, uh, your body and your brain know when something's over, it's over. And so it just shuts down in a 200 miler. I feel like you, you take a nap, you sleep for two, three hours you know, you're going to wake up again and get back right to it. So it's just so weird. That was my biggest fear too. uh, entering a 200 miler was how am I going to wake up the next day and do what I just did again? Again. Yeah. So it's really weird. I don't know if they've like looked into that or maybe there's already something out there about that, but I think a lot of that, I think it is like psychological just, or at least your, your body knowing it's not done. Um, so this year you did uh, one of the more difficult 100 milers in the country um, in Cruel Jewel 100, which is a race that I have no interest in attempting anytime soon. Um, just it is an amazing belt buckle. I do like how it looks like a echocardiogram, like an EKG, like just the mountains, just the profile. Um was this a race you wanted to do at this point? Because at this point you already knew you were getting into Moab. Uh, I believe the lottery drawing is usually at the end of January. Um, was this something that you wanted to do anyways, or you did it because of Moab? 
No, I did it specifically for hard rock uh, qualifier. Um, my goal is to you know get into hard rock one day, and I say one day because it could be years before I get in. Um, but uh, I specifically did it for that, and I have to say it wasn't it wasn't as it was hard, extremely hard, but it wasn't as hard as I would have thought. I mean, I was thinking that I was going to probably have to, uh, I mean, what was it? 32,000 feet of climbing and hundred miles. Um, I honestly thought it would be much more of a struggle, but, uh, it ended up being not, not terrible. Honestly, the, the worst thing, part of the worst thing about that entire race is just the humidity. Um, you know, you're in Georgia in May, start at 12 noon in the heat of the day. So that was really the, the biggest issue for me was just the humidity. Living in Texas, we don't have, in West Texas, I don't have humidity out here. It's dry and I'm from flatland out here in West Texas. There's no mountains. So, you know, that's interesting. You're, you're trying to get a hard rock qualifier. You did cruel jewel, which, um, yeah, that, that's an interesting take. I've heard, you know, yes, there's a lot of up, down, up, down, but it's not an overly technical trail, which could be good for those, um, that are intimidated by something like that. So yeah, I've always heard various, uh, varying different opinions about the difficulty of cruel jewel all i know is that regardless it takes a long time to finish it seems like um and so this is at this point i'm assuming this is the longest race at least time on feet wise uh you've you've ever done uh well you did cruel drill pretty fast considering 34 hours so that's a, that's a great time. Um, we had a big group go out last year, two years ago now. I forget. I think it was two years ago. And uh, 34 would have been right up near the top of our group. So that's a very that's a very good time. Um, so leading, you know, between then and Moab, um, what what was your training like getting ready for for that race? It's completely different. You got your hard rock qualifiers. Now you got to switch gears and train for Moab. Yeah. Um, so cool, Joe, I did a lot of strength training, um, because I knew I'd be climbing a lot. So I incorporated a lot of strength and then also had, um, hired Mike McKnight, um, to coach me for the Moab, um, race. And, um, you know, he also had incorporated a lot of strength for Moab. And so there wasn't a big change between you know, what I was doing before versus what I was going to do for Moab. Um, but he did have me do um, quite a bit of weeks that were just, I mean, most of it's easy runs that you're training. Uh, all your training runs are easy, easy runs mostly. But I think 75 mile weeks were just kind of consistent throughout my training um, program until I got the last four weeks were 80, 90, and 100. Uh, it's like 105, I think, was my peak week. Now, that seems, if I was talking to Andy Glaze, that seems that's just a normal week for him. But for me, that was, that was pretty brutal to do that 15 miles a day and then having the marathon at the end. I don't, I don't know how he does that every week, but uh, that was a lot. That was time consuming for me. Now, that is, um, so when I was training up for Moab, uh, I, I had one week where I hit a hundred miles and, you know, because of my work schedule and just because I like, you know, 
to, you know, do other things um, and I travel a lot. That was, you know, and I've had hundred mile weeks before, but that specific week training for Moa, it was a nightmare trying to get hundred miles. Um, I did kind of, I woke up at 3am, which was, I think good training for, you know, exhaustion and would do a half marathon every morning and then slightly more on the weekends to get to a hundred. So, um, but uh, it was even more so because a lot of those miles I did weighted vest training. Was that something that was ever incorporated into your regimen? No, I never did any weighted vest training. I mean, I ran with my uh, vest with, with fluids, but never, uh, I, I kind of regret it now because um, I didn't realize how heavy my vest was going to be with when I had to fully pack it down with the two liter bladder the the two flasks up front and all the gear it ended up being probably close to 30 pounds on that vest so uh my shoulders were killing me after just the first day and uh, so if i had to go back i would definitely be weighted vest training to just build up the shoulder muscles for that kind of pounding well that and you know weighted vest kind of helps you know, for those that are lacking any sort of hilly terrain, anything for vert training. Um, so in addition, what did you do uh, for any, you know, vert training? Stair climber. <laughs> uh, so in Midland, we really have very little trails to choose from. I've got some state, a state park that's about 30, 45 minutes away from us that has some vert, but very minimal, I think in, uh, a marathon distance, I can get 3,000 foot of gain, so not a whole lot. And uh, so, mostly strength training, uh, treadmill, and uh, stair climber. That was that was the only way to get any sort of vert training. And that's what I even did for for Cruel Jewel. Tons of stair climber. Uh, you know, making sure that those glutes are nice and hard every day. So leading up to this race um it was kind of a clusterfuck on when i did moab uh, not very you know planning very well for getting a crew until a kind of last minute um it, it was it became a source of a lot of stress and anxiety actually more so than the race was the logistics of the race like oh, what all i would need my pack was also 30 pounds. It was insane. You know, people joked that I rucked all of Moab, which is honestly true. Um, but then just organizing crew and, and, you know, as our first 200 miler, you, you know, this is our race. So we want to know everything and just, but after a while, you know, after doing my second one, I now know you can lay out a plan and just trust your, trust your crew because they'll get it done. Um, so that kind of helped with my anxiety, but from your perspective, how, how were the logistics of this race, uh, for you? When did you start planning and organizing a crew? Well, I had the crew organized very early on because I had a lot of, uh, friends here locally and that already wanted to, to, pitch in and, and be part of the crew. So that was fairly, that was established fairly early. But the problem that I've had, that I had was, um, not everyone could be there all at the same time. So I had to go and plan for like, okay, I need a hotel room in Moab for this 
part of the crew, other section, other part of the crew would come in later and I'll get them a room in Monticello. And then we'll need another Airbnb at the end of the race or towards the end of the race. So they can all go back and forth and shower and, and rest. And so I, I remember telling my wife, so this is, I am so stressed. I almost don't want any crew or any pacers because of the stress and anxiety that I'm getting from just worrying about all of it. Um, granted my crew, they took care of a lot. I didn't have to do anything when they got there, but, um, just, uh, work on planning that whole, um, race. It, it was, it was pretty, um, hectic. Now, do you mind telling me or telling us, uh, who your crew was, your pacers were for this race? Yes. I had, uh, uh, Andrea Moore, uh, she goes by and then some on, uh, Instagram, um, Rob Gomez or Robert Gomez. Here's again, he's the local, um, president of the Netherman crew, um, uh, running group out here. And then another, um, individual her name is jc green she's in she's an ultra runner she's going to be doing her first hundred miler here in rocky raccoon so um uh, those are my three pacers and of course my wife who's always been my crew chief of all my races and uh and then i also had um some help from or i have a lot of support and and sponsorship from midland athletic company a local running store here that they wanted to go out and, and film some of the race and kind of just see what the whole 240 looks like. So they came out and uh, did some filming and they plan to do uh, put out a, a small video out uh, here in the next couple of months. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, um, because this is just me, my observation, but just seeing on social media um, from the people from Midland giving you so much support um, and you've only been doing this for four or five years, I believe, like you said, um, have you in, you know, as far as the Midland community, um, have you, how have you ingrained yourself into that a community to, as that has gotten you the result of them giving you so much support because I thought like all throughout the race, I'm just seeing updates from, you know, these different Midland or, you know, uh, social media accounts, you know, just throwing out update just randomly in my feed. And, uh, I'm just like, wow, that's, that's a lot of support. And then, there, you know, you're helping out with, uh, uh, a charity organization as well for this race. So, um, how how much has this community met to you, met meant to you? Well, to answer your first question, how have I sort of ingrained myself in the community? It's uh, I, I do a lot of um, giving back to this community. Um, I serve on boards. Um, uh, I serve in the community in the, in our city as a planning and zoning commissioner, um, uh, and also run with the local Midland Run community and other. Um, different groups that we have here locally but as far as you know the way I've, I've always loved to give back is when I did my first Leadville race um, it was such a big ordeal for me to take on this big challenge that I wanted to figure out how can I you know give back to the community using this event and so Leadville my first Leadville 
I was able to partner up with the local um, youth charity um, that feeds uh, kids um, uh, for after school programs. And so I partnered with them and really got to know, you know, what their what kind of uh, services they provide to our community. And then Rocky Raccoon, I, I partnered with the West Texas Alzheimer's um, Association out here um, and, and helped raise money on that race. And so this was another huge, uh, big event for me that um, I partnered with uh, the Children's Rehabilitation Center. So just um, helping giving back to the community and, and working um, with so many in the community, I was, I was able to get, get that support that that um, truly pushed me and, and got me to that finish line. Thank you for your well articulated response uh, after my word salad of a question where I was just kind of all over the place there. That does not happen much, but I was tripping over my own words. Thank you. Um, I did not realize in the moment that I asked two questions uh, bookended into uh, a bunch of nothing. So um that's awesome. Uh, I love it when a community gets behind their runners, the group, and you know, it's a two-way relationship. Uh, you give and uh, give back. So that sounds awesome. I appreciated those updates during the race. And also you had Andrea Moore out there. Um, couldn't ask for a better pacer or crew. Uh, she has experience. She, she does dumb crap all the time. Uh, dumb as in, um, amazing stuff. Dumb as in, if I were to do it, I would implode. Um, she's an, an amazing athlete. It's inspiration to, hundreds or thousands of people she has quite a following so what what a get that was um before this race we did briefly talk you know just i gave you my experience a bit um as i told you it wasn't um it's was kind of a clusterfuck originally for me but a lot of things did work out in the end um how did the from a crew perspective if they've even talked to you about it uh how was it crewing you that did your crew how did how did they find it there i go again i'm trying to fuck this question <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm, I'm wanting to have a sort of a dinner and, and uh, uh so we can all kind of share stories so we haven't had a chance to kind of debrief and talk about it all but you know there was some you know they they kind of gave me their 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 take on their in, individual um segments where they paced me and uh i think they all said aside from Andrea she's just again like you said she's an animal man she keeps on going my other pacers were, were, were just telling me they don't know how I kept going they don't you know that segment that they paced me on was difficult and then they were done for the day and they said I, I can't believe that you had to go back out there and do it again so um, I, I think I think they were inspired though. I think they saw that, uh, how, how much the mind can continue to push that body, um, day after day, hour after hour. So, um, I, I do want to sit down with them and, and, and start to share some stories with one another because it, that, uh, we spent a lot of time together. That's for sure. Now for this race, Moab, this edition of Moab, um, they wanted to make things harder. Um, because originally, yes, it was the longest of their races and originally was the longest 200 miler in the country, uh, until Cocodona came out, <clears throat> but, um, they decided 
it was, it, you know, it was viewed as maybe one of the better beginner 200 milers, which actually, if you ask a lot of people, um, they don't necessarily agree. Um, but they decided to make it harder by extending a mountain section halfway through. Um, Shea Mountain was extended to where you now went through the Abajo Mountains as well. So this was, you know, touted as a lot more difficult, um, which I thought the original course was difficult enough. Um, so you're going through an actual second mountain range, which when we did it, there's only one real mountain range we went through, which was the LaSalle's because, uh, we only went up Shea mountain to Shea mountain at eight station before hitting the road, but they decided to put you through another mountain section. So, um, you were doing a race that was unknown to many at this point. They ended up extending cutoffs by quite a bit, I think five or six hours because of this new, uh, difficult section. And there was quite a few people who didn't make cutoff that originally have done this race in previous years. So, this was in, you know, in hindsight and for those that have done this before, uh, the hardest version of this race yet. Um, so I thought, you know, I was very curious how many would do because I'm looking to do this race again next year. Um, this, so what I want, what, uh, what I want to know there, <laughs> this is not my bright moment. I need Stephanie right now. <laughs> Dylan, be my Stephanie. Where are you? Buddy? You need her. Well, I'm not going to critique your intro. I mean, you did yeah. a wonderful job. Yeah. The, the intro was very eloquent, I would say. Yeah. It's been downhill <laughs> yeah. from there. We should just start terribly in the, you know, and then it can only be up from there. But um, yeah, usually when he, when he kills it, she'll come in and ruin, ruin the moment. And then just but. put me back down a notch. And then. <laughs> I'll have to work myself back up, but I try hard. But right now I'm just coasting off that intro because no one knocked me down a peg. (laughs) So going into a harder race, um, the hardest yet of that, you know, specific uh, version of it. What was your feeling? What was your mentality? How a lot of people are anxious. A lot of people are nervous. Um, But as you're about to go to the start line, what, what are you feeling about this behemoth? Man, I, I didn't know what to feel because uh, I didn't know what to expect. 200 miles is, it is a behemoth. Added, that added section, you know, since I was, uh, you know, ignorant to the fact of what it felt like before, you know, maybe if I was in your shoes and, and you already knew how difficult it was before. And then they add that extra section there. I will say that was uh, my most probably my most difficult section primarily because I was just, I was exhausted. Um, so Andrew was pacing me from, uh, from, uh, Indian Creek, uh, into Shea mountain, uh, or geyser pass. Um, and it was got into the night. It was our second night or my second night running. And, we just kept climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing until she would run up as far as she could. And, and she was, uh, she wanted to lie to me so bad to tell me that we were almost there, but we never could get to the top and it just took forever. Even she got to the point where she said she was so exhausted. And, uh, so, so really fast. This is, 
This is the climb to eight station or is this the new section after the Shade station? You know, I don't even know where, where the new section was versus the old section. So Shea mountain eight station, um, is the, after you do this mammoth long, never ending climb, and then you get to a Shea station, which is a massive crew and sleep station. Yeah. And then from there you go up into uh, the mountains, but because I was curious, your thought on the climb to Shea mountain, which they just call climbing Shea mountain, which you climb this horrible one and a half or so mile, just nonstop. It's not even switchbacks really. And it's mm-hmm. never ending. And then finally you hit the road, you go down a few miles only to climb all the road back up. So that's the section. Um, that is what many people considered at least historically, the hardest part of the race only because um, you're not delirious enough to be numb to the pain because in my opinion, the LaSalle's were harder later on, but it was just the first kind of gut punch you got because I, you know, I would like to hear your opinion. The first a hundred miles, first 90 miles, you know, other than a lot of slick rock uh, wasn't too challenging, nothing too big. You had to climb. Um, so yeah, I was kind of, I'm kind of curious how, how did the first section from uh, the start up until like Indian Creek, I guess, go for you. That section uh, is kind of, you know, just a gut punch to many people because that's the first time you really have sustained climbing. And that's about 110 miles into the race, because before that, um, the first 100 or so miles were kind of not, you know, a lot of slick rock. It was a lot of hard surfaces you're running on, but nothing substantial as far as climbing. Um, so I was curious what your thoughts were on the first, like, I don't know, uh, 70 or so miles when, you know, the beginning to when you first saw crew, uh, what were your thoughts on the race at that point? So it was uh, really interesting to me. Um, my feet were hurting the bottoms of my feet very early on and I never experienced that. And, uh, so I got to Armasa aid station, which was, what is that? Mile 17, 17. Yeah. Yeah. And my feet were sweaty. It was hot. And, um, I didn't have a drop bag there and, and, and Andrea wasn't able to be there, uh, cause she was dropping her car off at, at Geyser pass. And, uh, so I had to keep going and I knew I was going to get blisters. So I kept going and I got blisters all the way like mile 30. And, uh, by the time I got to, um, Oasis aid station, mile 53, my feet were pretty blistered up and, and hurting really, really bad, which. I thought to myself, I don't know what's going on. So I don't know if that was from the slick rock and all the hard surfaces, but early on, I'd never experienced where my feet would hurt. Every hundred mile that I've done, I've never had my feet hurt like this before. It is definitely the slick rock, especially going back, uh, going down into that aid station that uh, we were just talking about. There's right before you hit the road to get to that aid station, there's a slick rock that just goes down forever. And last year when I did it, I ran with a guy who said like he like hurt himself or something and 
like did something bad to his leg coming down these. So I was like, Oh, that's great. I'm a heavy guy. Um, that was, that was miserable. And that was only 17 miles, 16 miles in at that point, that slick rock hits you hard, like no other. And which is why I think, yes, elevation profile wise, this race doesn't look as intimidating as the other ones, but it's the surface. There's hardly any actual trail trail in this race. Right. It's a lot of hard hard surfaces that we're not used to. So yeah, definitely curious, you know, the, the feet, the feet were an issue early on. Um, yeah. what's your mentality at this point? Uh, I was, I was pretty devastated. Honest. I was pissed. I was really pissed and furious that I didn't have a drop bag. I couldn't change my socks and shoes. Cause I was thinking I need softer shoes. So I was telling myself, you know, leaving Oasis, I still got another, almost 20 miles just to get to Indian Creek. And I was, and it was dark and cold. Um, I think it was got down to like 28 degrees that, that evening. And I was just, I was pissed. I couldn't believe how I feel like I was, a uh, not, not going to end up making it just because of my feet, but got to Indian Creek. Sun was there. Sun was, uh, was up and, uh, finally got to see Andrea and, uh, and some of my crew there. And, uh, was able to get, um, change of shoes, clothes, socks that helped. But still I told her, I said, my feet were, are, are hurting bad. And so I struggled from that point on. And when you say struggled from that point on, are you saying that this was something, yeah, this was a problem early on and you're saying that it just never really went away. And it's just something that kind of stuck with you. So did your mentality change from, oh, I'm running this race well to now I'm just trying to problem solve and keep this issue at bay and just try to survive this race? Um, I'm curious if you ever switched from running this race well to just, you know, I need to survive this race like many others during their first 200. It turned into survival mode right around that time. Honestly, it was too early and I was, that's why I was so frustrated and angry that I wasn't able to, um, I mean, I had a goal, you know, uh, 90, 95 hours roughly. And, uh, yeah, I threw that out the window real quick. It became a game of, uh, surviving, like you said. And, uh, um, and I still wanted to do sub 100 at least. So, um, you know, we were trying to run, but my feet were just, they were in pain. It's this race, Moab, like I did Cocodona, my feet were far worse throughout all of Moab, which is funny because Cocodona is just a rock garden for most of the race. But I really do think it's just the slick rock and the unrelenting flat in the middle of the race. So you do Shea mountain, you do the Bajo uh, mountains, and then you are on kind of this unrelenting Jeep road for what seems like a lifetime, which is a lot of people's low moments on hurt feet. uh, Sounds like we both had that problem. It was miserable. And also it was the most tired uh, that I've seen people during this section. So I'm curious, um, when you are hit in the mouth with something as difficult as Shea mountain and those mounds, and all of a sudden you're on a road forever marching slowly towards the Salles. What did you think about this? Was this, did you find this as a break, like reprieve from the difficult sections before, or was this a nightmare? Like a lot of us thought. 
It was a death march, honestly. I, I thought it, it was horrible. Um, and then the road um, to, to Needle, um, what is it? Needles Aid Station. Yeah, the Needles Aid Station from Dry Valley. It was all sand. And uh, I remember one of the runners saying it wasn't like that last year. Um, but that road was full of sand. And I had switched to road shoes, to Saucony road shoes, um, because one of the other runners that have done it before, they said, this is all going to be roads. You might as well switch to road shoes. It's going to be more comfortable. Bad idea. Because I had sand that I had to keep getting out of my shoes every three miles. And uh, it was just, it was turning into just, um, uh, it was tearing up to my feet with all the sand and had to stop quite a bit. And it was in the middle of the night. And I know Andrea was getting kind of frustrated with it too. So yeah, that, that was a death march all the way um, uh, on that, that road section. That's, that's very interesting. And the sand, I don't remember an ounce of sand during that section when I did it last year. So I'm wondering where the hell that came from. It that, was full of sand. That is it was ridiculous. Yeah. And, and then when we got to the road 46 aid where we, it was supposed to be, um, we got there and there was nothing there. And then I had remembered they had sent an email out the day before the race stating they had to move it another mile and a half. So I was already, it was already three or four in the morning and we were getting to that aid station and we were pushing so hard to get to it. So when I got there, I was just fully deflated knowing that I still had another mile and a half to go now. Cause we thought we were there. You know how that is. Yeah. yeah. Throw fits, man. That miles the longest, like it might as well be five miles. It might I, as well. <laughs> I threw temper tantrums in front of my pacer. I didn't care. You show everyone your true color, not your true colors, because I'm not a pouty little man, but like you're not afraid to show what you're feeling at that current moment. You just let it all out. So did you have a temper tantrum at any point during this race? I must know. That was my temper tantrum moments there with the Andrea. Unfortunately, she got to, uh, hear all of my complaining, my whining, and she held, she handled it really well. She, uh, ended up walking a little faster <laughs> on purpose, uh, so that I could have my, my pity party alone and, and just, uh, whine to myself because I, I was, I knew I was probably complaining so much about my feet and that this is not normal and there's something wrong. And she kept saying, it's normal. Don't worry about it. Just keep pushing through. So, um, yeah, she was, she handled it gracefully. I'll say she was, she was awesome during that time listening to me whine. It's the perfect person to whine and bitch in front of because she's been there, you know, so she understands. Um, so that section, um, I thought was never ending and was kind of a nightmare just because it seemed all the same and repetitive. You get into road 46 and then, you know, the last behemoth, uh, the Las Falls are waiting. Um, but probably tied for my lowest moment was actually climbing up to, uh, pool Canyon before he started doing Las Falls because it was kind of like a lot of road, like grab, like Jeep, like, uh, it was kind of rocky road, but it just kept gradually going up forever and ever and ever, never ended all exposed, hot. Um, 
but at road 46, when I did it, um, I took a three hour nap and that was my longest nap with this race, which begs me to ask, um, how much sleep did you get at this point? Um, so before road 46, I had, uh, about an hour of sleep total. And when I got, when I, on that Sandy road, there was a, another runner, Helgi was his name. And he was doing the triple crown for the third time. I think an amazing man, by the way. Amazing. Yeah. He was sort of my uh, trail mentor. Um, he was, uh, we were leapfrogging throughout the entire course. And, and, and when I told him that I was really wanted to just do sub 100, he said that just fired him up, fired him up. And he's like, oh, I've never done it. Sub 100. I'm going to try to stick with this guy. So, um, uh, we were just going back and forth. So finally we, he, we were almost there to road 46 and he said, you need to take a three to four hour nap because you're going to go into the hardest section. And I was only planning on another one to two hour nap. Um, so I took his advice, but when I got there, I, um, my, my crew took my shoes and socks and, and vest off. And I started going uncontrollably shivering because it was so cold. They threw me in the car and then I shivered for another two hours, tried to sleep. And I only ended up sleeping for maybe 30, 15 minutes or so until I went to the restroom and Helgi's truck was parked next to the porta potties there. And he was just getting up from his nap. And he said, if I asked if I slept and I said, no, not really. And so he gave me some melatonin. And, uh, so I took that and he said, go back to sleep and sleep for an hour. So I ended up sleeping for about an hour after that. So had about a two and a half hours of sleep at that point, um, going into the Los Al's. So I think I remember when we talked, I told you the LaSalle section itself, um, felt like there was no way out because that is trail. Um, there's no way to go other than forward or back. And if you are hurting and moving slow, it is dangerous. It is dangerous for many runners. There are people stuck up there that have to be helped down. And it's about an 18 mile section, um, from pole Canyon to geyser, uh, in the heart of the Um, my feet were definitely hurting and this section felt like it never ended. So I'm curious, um, what did, what are your thoughts, uh, on this section and how did you power through it? Well, you're right. The, when you first start, um, it's rocky, extremely rocky and it was completely exposed. So we, it was really hot and my pacer actually ended up running out of water, um, about a mile before we got to the aid station. Um, so we got to that aid station and after uh Pole Canyon aid station, that's when it really, you know, a lot of climbing, like you, as you very well know, but it was not a, an established trail and very dangerous. Um, you could easily fall. Obviously Andrew Glaze fell and got a concussion during that, in that same section. But my pacer almost, um, fell off the, the mountain as well. She had her poles and, it was a small ledge that we were on and I was just telling her lean to the, into the mountain and her pole went a little further out of the mountain and off the ledge and she slipped and, and was able to catch herself. But yeah, that was, uh, that 31 mile section from road 46 all the way to, um, to what is Geyser. that? Uh, Geyser pass. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, that's, that was, I think that to me, that was the hardest section of all. Um, mostly it's scary. It's very scary. scary. Yeah. The first time you actually feel exposed to the left, you have just a drop down the mountain to the mm-hmm. right is just the mountain keeps going up. Right. Cause they're kind of like not at the top because it gets up to 12, 13,000 feet. You're right around 10,000 feet on the side of a mountain and there's nowhere to go, but forward. It can be terrifying, especially when they have bad weather. Um, I heard this year you guys had some pretty decent weather. Did it uh, ever get too hot or too cold for you? It was decent weather. Um, we did get some snow, um, so but it wasn't terrible. Uh, most of the sections that we had were more slushy snow, so it wasn't slick. Um, and then uh, the only time it was really hot was the last day on Tuesday for me. Um, getting into Moab again, that is fully exposed area. And then you're all on that rock, um, going down into, into Moab. But other, otherwise I, I w- I'd have to say that was really, it was good weather, fair weather for this entire race. When you did finally hit geyser pass, was there a sense of relief knowing it was quote unquote all downhill from there? <laughs> like a lot of us experienced. Yeah, there was a lot of relief. Um, I was, I was, almost too confident thinking, okay, I'm done. And, uh, and I just told my, my crew, I'm going to take an hour to sleep. And, Cause we got there around 1130. Um, I said, I'm going to take an hour of sleep. And so I ate another cheeseburger. It's probably my 15th cheeseburger. I ate a ton of cheeseburgers. Um, and, uh, so I ate another cheeseburger. I think it was my last one there. Slept for an hour still really wasn't able to sleep again. It took me a while. So we were, I was in the car for almost two hours until I could fall asleep and then, uh, got back at it. And I knew at that point it, yes, I knew it, it was technically downhill, but there was still going to be some climbs in there. Yeah. It wasn't just, um, the fact that, yeah, there was a little bit of climbing. Uh, I do remember you hit, a tra- Once you climb down the Salls after a few miles, you actually hit what I swear to God was the first actual dirt trail of the race. I remember with my pacer, it's small, it's short, it's brief. It disappointed me, it did not last long. But I remember it comes out onto actual concrete restroom, like an actual building of restrooms. I'll never forget that. It was my favorite part of the race, but only lasted like a mile and a half or two miles. But What got got me though, porcupine rim was a nightmare for me. I did not, I knew it was downhill. I did not expect more solid slab rocks just tearing up my feet. Uh, I threw temper tantrums here. Um, How was this section for you? Because I think I remember seeing video from Andrea um, of you guys running. Um, Were you with Mm -hmm. Helgi at this point? Uh, so Helgi, um, after the last aid station, um, yeah, I, I, I was sort of run walking. It was in the morning still. And Helgi had, had, uh, was behind me at the time. So I had taken off from Geyser Pass sooner than he did. He was going to take another two, three hours sleep. And, uh, it wasn't until probably a mile. There was 13 miles left. And then Helgi comes with his music blasting 
I could hear him coming up and he was in the zone and stops me and says, Hey bro, we're going to, are you going? We're going to, we got to keep going. If you're going to do the sub a hundred. And I was, I was defeated. I said, man, I'm hot. I'm tired. I don't care anymore. I just want to finish. I'm just going to finish when I finish. I don't care about the hundred mile sub hundred anymore. And, uh, he kept trying to talk me to, into running and going with them, but I was defeated. I was, it was so hot. Like you're saying the rocks. So he went on and then that's when he kind of planted that seed. And, uh, slowly but surely I started to get faster and stronger. And then the last, um, eight miles, I started pushing my pacer. I was pushing him so hard that he ended up saying he couldn't keep up with me anymore and that I'm going to have to go on by myself. So, um, he told me, go on, go get your buckle, go get your sub hundred. And I took offline from there. So the last six miles, I was just, I was, uh, I don't know. My feet didn't hurt. Everything went no more pain. I didn't feel anything. I just felt like I was, uh, starting the race from scratch again. So that last, uh, section, the last six miles, you said you took off, um, ran off, uh, from your pacer, uh, which is always an epic thing to do. It's no better feeling than, especially after 238 miles or so, 235 miles of dropping somebody, especially somebody (laughs) you love and hold dear to you. Um, no better feeling than that. Um, it is a road though. The last three miles that gave me some fits, uh, just, just a road and just never ended. I kept pulling out my guy, uh, just like, Oh, saw to go around this bend and just never coming. Um, so did you run this in yourself by yourself or were you with, uh, Helgi at this point running into the finish? So Helgi had gotten there already and finished, a little prior, I think maybe, maybe 10 minutes prior to me, five minutes prior to me, somewhere around there. And, uh, but so, uh, Andrea was, um, uh, on the course filming with the, the, the other, uh, an athletic company crew there that was filming. Um, so I, I, as they were there, I told them, I passed my, my pacer and I told them, Hey, y'all need to get off the mountain and get in the car and go meet me at the, uh, um, uh, go meet me at the finish. Cause I'm going to get there pretty fast. And so they all jumped in the car and started trying to race to, to, to be there for me. And, uh, and same thing, I was getting really worried because I was running on the side of this road, running on that cross this bridge and then running on this path on the side. And I kept worrying, like, when is this going to stop? Is it, am I almost there? And I kept pulling out the guy checking the app. And, uh, and then I started to say, okay, I'm getting closer. So I started running faster and then faster. And then I almost felt like I was running a seven minute pace. I was probably running 10 minute miles. I don't know, but it felt like it was a seven minute pace. Cause I was just running so hard and fast. And, uh, finally I got to see, um, the RV park where I was going to turn into. And, uh, Billy Yang was on the sidewalk walking his dog at the time. And he hears my footsteps as I'm running in he turns around and just starts uh, cheering me on to the finish. And then I turn into the RV park and then there's the, my crew waiting for me. Um, and then my wife, um, runs in, into the finish with me. And then the crew is there at the end waiting. So, um, it was, uh, it was poetic. Honestly, it felt, uh, just 
And I don't know. There's, there's really hard to put some words to that, that finish. It was hard to put words to that finish. Was it also hard to feel, um, as in like, I was emotional, but also not emotional. I was euphoric, but not euphoric. I was delirious. It was both times I've done one of these. I've not had a proper response. Um, did the same thing happen to you or were you full blown emotional, you know, exasperated or just euphoric? What was your like feeling finishing this race? It was more because uh, I was coming in so hard. I, I'm, I think I'm with you. I didn't have probably the um, appropriate feelings internally, um, but I was exhausted. So when I, I ran in so hard, I fell to the ground and and I just kind of just wanted to sit there and absorb that moment to start to get some feeling because I didn't have the feeling that maybe I thought I should have. Uh, I was more emotional on my hundred milers than I have been for this race. And I don't know if it's just because you get callous throughout the entire time that you numb yourself to that feeling um, of you're, you're, you're numbing yourself the entire time to just push through that. You don't have any more feelings. Exactly. I don't know what the case is. I know. Did, did you also, uh, and also I asked some people and they, you know, a few, a few have agreed with me. Did you also no longer have a sense of any reality outside of the race? Like almost like my job didn't exist. Nothing personal lives, my relationships yeah. did not exist outside of the race. I was just, I felt like this was the rest of my life. Like every day I would just take a three hour nap, wake up and do this. Like that's just how delirious we get. So, you know, it's interesting. Yes. I do not see people express themselves as emotionally during a 200 mile race as they do in maybe a hundred mile race. I think it's just a combination of all those things. And maybe at the very least, just finally it's over. This is a nightmare and everyone will do it again. Speaking well, of which, I'll th- oh, go I ahead. I think Dylan. some of that too. I was going to say, I think some of that too is just like you've been, uh, your body's essentially been making the same motion for however long, 240 miles that it probably just doesn't hit you. Like it just doesn't register. Um, because like you said, you just go into a whole nother world. And so you're like, wait, now it's over. Um, and maybe, maybe some little masochistic part of you wanted that journey to keep going. You're like, but, but wait, now it's over. (laughs) And speaking of that, um, I want to know what were your thoughts immediately after, uh, not too long after this race, like a day or two, I wanted to do another one. Um, where do you currently stand? on another 200 miler i want to do cocodona 250 now hell yeah man <laughs> dude it, it's uh, uh let me tell you cocodona is a party compared to moab i mean moab is gorgeous but the way cocodona set up it's um you never feel you, you i don't know it's just the party 200 miler i feel like it's the frat party of all the 200 milers out there it's hard it's hard but yeah i think it's easier on the mind so Hell yeah, man. It's awesome. It's, it's, it's crazy how uh, in the thick of it, I, I didn't want to do, I kept telling myself, I'm never going to do this again. This is, this is ridiculous. Um, the pain I'm feeling, I don't want to experience this again. And, uh, and then immediately afterwards you're done. And I mean, I, it was probably the next day I was already thinking about what's next. Hell yeah, man. Uh, and, and already telling people I'm going to do COVID on a 250. So, so uh, I can afford it though. <laughs> 
Um, this was expensive, man. Pay a Coca Dona. Now uh, we can, you know, I can help you out a little bit after this uh, podcast. But they also, if you go on their website and the shop, they do have a payment plan option through a firm, which a oh, firm is a huge. Right. If you know what a firm is. Um, yeah, that's an option. And I keep telling people, Hey, you can do a firm. That's fucking awesome. I use a firm for some things, you know, some of these races, I wish I knew about it before, uh, because you know, I, yeah, Cocodona, these races are expensive. Um, like a layaway so, plan for ultra runners. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. Uh, make it more mainstream out there. And I'm seeing more, you know, people do that. So they do have that option. Um, the recovery it was just as mental as it was physical same with this right you know with moab i was emotional for a week i felt sad i think because you are in a new world doing this race and all of a sudden you're yanked out of it and put back into reality i was sad um i was borderline devastated um same thing happened to coke after cocodona um and you know i've talked to friends i'm not gonna you know name who they are, but people that I was shocked to find out because, you know, they're huge in the scene. They've experienced and this continue to experience the same thing. And it can be borderline um, depressing. Um, it's, it's weird. It's a shock. Um, I'm not saying I'm not hoping you experience this, but um, how was the mental recovery of this? Because we know physical is always difficult, but, was there any sort of mental obstacles adjusting post-race? Yeah, yeah, there was definitely sadness because like you said, you're so immersed in uh, the race from, and you, you don't think about anything else uh, during that race. You literally don't think about anything, but one step in front of the other, what I'm going to eat. And it's just the race is all your mind is, is, uh, is focused on. And then afterwards, you now have to get back to reality and focus on other things and focus on recovery. And it, there is some, some sadness because it's like you lived this different life for that time period. And, and it was, it was great because there was so many different, it was an emotional roller coaster that was associated with that. And now you're getting to this sort of just normal, um, daily life. Um, and so, yeah, there's sadness. Uh, I, I wouldn't say depression, but for sure sadness that it was over. And I think maybe you told me and several others have told me, enjoy it while you're out there because you're going to be sad when it's over. And, and, and that, that holds true. I was definitely saddened when it was over. I do think there are many ways, you know, to help with that in the future. Um, it was far less of a problem after Cocodona. Um, it's just a shock, I think, especially with your first one. So, um, it doesn't hit everyone the same way. I'm not saying that everyone's sad after this. Some people aren't, some people are just relieved it's over. Um, but I do think it also, there is kind of a connection there with wanting to do another one immediately that is chronic correlated with sadness as well. Um, cause you're just eager to get back out there and you physically can't as well. So, um, speaking of physically, um, how is the physical aspect of recovery gone? Um, so legs are feeling just about hundred percent. I've been hitting the gym for the first time this week. Uh, I did lose my first toenail yesterday, never lost a toenail in a race. So, 
my pinky toenail on my left foot was just getting battered for my shoe. I guess that it, it finally came off yesterday, but, um, otherwise my recovery is just about done. Um, I'm ready to kind of get back to running, but I'm still ready to, um, take it easy. Cause I was burnt out from the training. I really didn't even want to run anymore. Yeah, it's yeah, the training is always the worst part. Um, sticking to that regimen, I like the controlled chaos of an actual two hundred miler. Like getting out there and not knowing what what to expect is a lot more fun than having a laid out training plan that you're probably paying for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I enjoyed the race more so than I did the training. The training I, I was just burnt out from doing it day in day out. Um. So you mentioned, you know, Cocodona is something you want to do. Is that your next thing or is that in the distant future? And if it is in the distant future, is there anything else you're trying to focus on? I know you mentioned hard rock, but uh, what's in the near future for you? Um, I don't think I have really anything that I'm, I'm eyeing right now. I'm, I've got a couple of uh, athletes that I'm coaching that are going to be doing big bend uh, 50. So uh, I know Mackenzie's going to be doing the 50 miler there. Um, I might, um, I don't know what I, I might go out there. Um, and I've got a couple athletes doing the Rocky raccoon hundred in February. So I might go out there and, and just, uh, I think I'm kind of ready to just be a little bit more behind the scenes here and there. Uh, but I do want to do Copadona and uh, next year in May. So between now and then I don't have anything planned. Um, I think I really want to help other athletes just kind of achieve their goals and, and be on the sidelines, helping them out, maybe go do some aid station volunteering as well. It's awesome. Very admirable. I tried to do the same thing after Moab and the first gig I got trying to help others, I fucked it up. So, um, <laughs> I was a horrible volunteer. So, but, uh, once again, congratulations on this amazing race, um, way to battle through it. And in general, congratulations on your awesome resume up to now and, uh, all that you do for your community and the way that they respond and, uh, do things for you, uh, as well. Um, so thank you for joining us. Um, Stephanie again, um, we need to try to convince her to think about two hundreds, you know, she just doesn't want to, she really, she straight up said, Andrew, I can't do an episode with a 200 mile like finisher. I don't want to. I think you just got to give her time. Yeah. She's like, you just got to put her out her there. Time, yeah. Just kick her out there. It's taken her some time to get up to the frequency of hundred milers that she's running. So I, I feel like she's oh, yeah. on the cusp. She's doing a lot of them now and it's just, all right, cool. Just, uh, as they get closer together, um, you know, eventually, Hey, just, you're going to do, we want to do one on a Monday and then a Tuesday. Might as well do 200 miler. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Weekends. Do yeah. like a hundred one weekend, a hundred the next. And well, they are uh, working destination trail. They scouted uh, Arizona for their future 300 miler that will be coming out. So I'm excited about that. But uh, again, uh, Abe, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, congratulations to you, to your amazing crew, to your first 200 mile finish. This is awesome. Always love Hell talking yeah. about Moab. It's a great place. Uh, you chose a great place to do your first 200 and um i'm happy to hear that you are looking at your next one um 
So yeah, we're going to end this episode on, uh, as we discussed earlier, I can't let it go, which is anything running or non running related the past week or so that have been on your mind that you don't mind just talking about. Uh, I'll go really fast to set the tone. Uh, Texas Rangers are World Series champions. Um, I, don't, you know, I knew that was coming. I, I don't care. I don't care. I was screaming. I was shouting all last night. I've never been so uneasy. Hey, look, we got burned in 2011 with one strike I, left. I remember Twice. that game. I remember Never forget. I literally was numbed everything just as numb, maybe more numb than, than I was during a 200 miler. So even up five last night with one strike left, I'm like, we're going to lose. <laughs> um, I just, there's no way. And then, um, I kept waiting for after the final out, just like the ump to come and be like, Oh wait, no replay. They're going to replay something, review it. <laughs> just be like, Oh man, I don't know. Or some trash can to come out of nowhere to be like, Hey man, they're sign stealing. Uh, that's not a dig at the Houston Astros. I'm sorry, <laughs> but, um, you know, that was great. It's great. I'm on a high trying to determine if I'm going to go to the parade tomorrow, but yeah, that's kind of on my mind right now. Um, I'm on zero sleep. I'm so exhausted. <laughs> Just what a late night. It was fun. It was quite the bender. Um, Dylan, what about you? Um, so this week I have, uh, or this weekend rather, actually it will be, Last weekend, as of the posting of this episode, uh, I have the Pinhoti 100 uh, in eastern Alabama as a a little bit of a redemption run for Bighorn. And just to get back on the saddle, to be honest. Um, but uh, but really, just with that, um, I think the weather's looking great. It's, it's highs in the low 70s, uh, lows in maybe the, the 40s, so it should be pretty cool. I don't see any precipitation, and um, it'll be 100 with about 14,000 feet total. Um, so a little bit a little bit easier than Bighorn, but I'm just ready to get back in the saddle, to be totally honest, because I, too, also have uh, Rocky Raccoon next year as just that's more of a symbolic finish just because obviously with the birth of happy endings and I've crewed that race three damn years, I might as well run the thing. But, um, but no, my, my mind right now is, is on pin And being a Texan, we got into that race. Yeah, you do. I mean, I yeah. haven't, and I don't know if I'm doing it next year, but, uh, cause I'm interested in the coon canyons doing Rocky raccoon. And then a week later, <laughs> canyon, so uh, that's my thing I'm creating. I may join uh, you with that for maybe 2026. That sounds fun. Yeah, I may not do it next year. We'll see. But uh, yeah, uh, and also on that note, uh, good luck to Jen Kirkpatrick and Jordan Van Gundy or Gundy. I don't know. And Who Jessica care? Donahue. To throw and and Jessica. Sorry, I cannot be there. I was supposed to be there, but work decided that I need to make more money. And <laughs> I don't have PTO. So, Wow. Thank you. Um, so, A, we'll end with you. Uh, what can you not let go? Cocodona, man. Um, ever since I finished Moab, I've been watching uh, a ton of documentaries on Cocodona 250. I watched Chad Wright's recently and uh, just can't get it out of my mind. So, I know it's, awesome. it's, it's there and I'm, I'll, I want to do it. So, that's Love next. It. I will gladly talk to you about Coconona. <laughs> Obviously there's a lot of people you can talk to about Coconona, yeah. but, um, it's, it is a party. Uh, also, you know, 
Uh, if you want a full in-depth analysis of the course, our podcast, I did uh, a pretty long two-part one going by each section. Uh, if you're interested in that, check that out. And anyone yeah. interested in Cocodona, uh, those are actually two of our most popular episodes. So um, I'm excited. I'll be at Cocodona. Uh, I'm not running it again, uh, just screwing and pacing. So I'm excited to get back out there and do those A stations, man. Oh, man. Let me tell you, there's this one A station. It's like a throwback to a 70s, like, like I don't know, mid-70s disco lounge. It's just, oh, I can't wait to go back and not run it and just chill. I mean, you know, but I am having FOMO. Would love to run it again. Um, so yeah, that's great. I hope you, uh, rest up and tr- get ready for that race. Um, I'm excited for you and thank you so much, um, for joining us and Dylan, good luck on Pinotti and, um, give Mo some hard, hard miles, uh, give him some hard Will times do. as well. Just, uh, you know, talk about the Texas Rangers in front of him, piss him off. <laughs> uh, fucking ass. We'll see. He, he's going to be stuck with me for 30, maybe 40 miles. So, we'll- so, uh, Abe, as we end this episode, is there, uh, any last shout outs you want to give or any recognitions? I uh, just shout out to Midland Children's Rehabilitation Center. Uh, again, they, they've been a, a great organization serving the West Texas community. So, uh, thank y'all for doing what you do day in, day out and serving these children. It was awesome seeing uh, the updates regarding that throughout the race. Thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, as always, uh, this is happy cast episode somewhere between 80 and hundred. Um, yeah. Until next time, we'll see you. Happy endings. Happy endings. Happy endings. Okay. I was waiting for that. Monos. <laughs> he does indeed.